Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1288, which is entitled Shimmering Brightly. Our <laughs> podcast title is Penny Podful. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are, we're going to ramble through uh, Penny Dreadful City of Angels, the spin-off, and mm. also talk about Annihilation, the first yes. book of the Southern Reach trilogy. Exactly. Now, Rob, I know you've read all the trilogy, but I've just started delving in, dipping in a toe, mm-hmm. um, and also because I've gone on a bit of an Alex Garland kick after watching Dev, so I was keen to talk about it and hear your thoughts as well. So have a look at another look at that book. Well... City of Angels, Penny Dreadful, spin-off. Now, the original Penny Dreadful, which is named after, um, you know, the uh, the, the novel, the horror novels of the period, because they they were called Mm -hmm. Penny Dreadfuls, because that's what they cost. So that was a a television series on Stan, although originally it was created for Showtime. Uh, John Logan was the showrunner. And Mm -hmm. once again, he is the showrunner for the new City of Angels. Now, there were three series of the original Penny Dreadful, and this is a, a completely different one. So whereas the other one was set on the whole in the before the turn of the uh, the 19th century, this mm-hmm. one is set in 1938 Los Angeles. Yes. I, um, I've never actually watched the original Penny Dreadful, but I know you quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, is that right? It's got some intense stuff. Uh, my partner Gail and I were watching um, season three, uh, the other night. So we haven't actually finished the first Penny Dreadful. Right, the original, the core yeah. series. Yeah, but we're, we're pretty much along with it. But we do know that the this new City of Angels doesn't have much connection. It's They've just used the kind of name to spin off something new that they want to be doing. Because yeah. isn't the original kind of a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen type thing? Yes, it is. And this one isn't. Yeah, uh, this looks kind of like an L.A. crime caper from what I could tell from the – I've not watched it yet. I'm very intrigued hmm. and I'm very interested to hear your thoughts, but it looked pretty a straight-down-the-line L.A. crime type of thing to me. Well, okay, it's it's more complicated than that. Okay, good, good. <laughs> um, <laughs> Excellent. It's, it's set nearly 50 years after the original series. Mm-hmm. So we're talking 1930s Hollywood, right? Yeah. So there's that layer. So really it is a bit of an archaeological dig. There's a lot of things going on in it and a lot of intersecting mm-hmm. layers. Uh, so, okay, you've got first off the layer of that golden age of Hollywood. Yep. Then there's a there's a, a layer of um, a burgeoning development of infrastructure in the city of LA. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then you've got another layer of it's just about to hit World War Two. Mm-hmm. In terms of um, you know the uh, uh, the German uh, European theatre of war opening up, so in that case you've actually got a lot of uh, expatriate Germans in Hollywood. Right. Yep. Now 
bringing with them, apart from the the ones who are genuinely fleeing the war, uh, fleeing the uh, the coming war and uh, and persecution in Nazi Germany, there are you know so in that in that level you would have. Um, uh, lots of uh, Hollywood uh, directors and composers mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, and some mm-hmm. actors and so on. Um, but you've also got people who are essentially Nazi agents. Right, okay. Another, Interesting. Yeah. Another layer is that there are people in the United States who are pretty much neo-Nazis themselves. Actually, I shouldn't say neo-Nazis because... Proto-Nazis. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're fellow travellers with the Nazis. Sure. So there's that layer there of locals who are essentially betraying the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, now, that actually reminds me of a lot of serials from the 1940s. There was a lot of sort of spy smasher type uh, serials. So we've got that going on there too. Then in there is Mexican-American folklore because there are a lot of uh, Mexican immigrants in, in Hollywood. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So, and in California in general, uh, fruit pickers uh, and so on. So that's just five or six of the layers. And then to touch off this quite complex mixture of essentially gunpowder is um, the Mexican folklore deity Santa Muerta. Now, mm-hmm. we've seen her before. Um, you may remember um, the Book of Life. She oh, yeah. plays the, she's one of the, essentially it's like she's uh, death. Let's just go okay. with that. We'll call her death. Sure. Um, so she comes for the, the souls of the dead and then, uh, mm-hmm. then takes them to the afterlife. And, and she's kind of a neutral character normally. Uh, she yeah. just does what she does. She's more of a mm. ferryman or a fairy woman in this case. Uh, but she has a sister, a demoness called Magda. And they've got a little sort of a, a thing going on, uh, mm-hmm. kind of a, not exactly a bet, but Magda wants to prove to her sister that uh, humanity, they're basically evil. Okay. And that all it takes is a little bit of a whisper in their ears and we'll just go off. Now, ah. it's a fair comment given that World War II is, is sort of gearing up mm. around them. So, and then, of course, there's the racism involved in the whole, uh, in the whole, uh, in the whole uh, Los Angeles area and California in general. So there's a lot of things in play. And it's, it's, it, it's so this is where you get your occult element coming into it. Uh, and we've watched one episode, there's 10 episodes, they drop um, once a week. So it's set all that up in just the first episode. Yep. Wow. That <laughs> seems like a lot. Was it? okay to palette that yeah. seems like a lot to cram in <laughs> I, I thought it was a very i wouldn't call it elegant because it's not that kind of, of um mm. uh, style of writing but yeah sure. you, you really just warp right into this um so it's not uh, it's not like a slow burn build it's just like kind of a pulp fictiony kind of just let's smash out what set our scene and then have a bit of fun with it kind of vibe well i don't know where it's exactly going yet Mm, okay. Um, yeah. And you can definitely tell there's lots of, if I were to compare this to different things, um, mm. I would say for one thing, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for a start. Uh, and I would also say Chinatown. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would also say. Those uh, are two very different films. <laughs> from, from Dusk to Dawn. Okay. 
These are all, I mean, you're in, these are all very good. Um, uh, you're really getting my interest here, let's yeah. say. And I would also say maybe uh, a little bit Agent Carter. Okay. As well. I mean, <laughs> I think it's interesting. They're tackling a lot there, but you, that kind of era, that kind of style, and you've got a lot of themes to play with. Hmm. Uh, it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they're actually planning to do with the series, like what it wants to focus on. Hmm. Um, okay. And that's, what's it called again? City of Angels. Uh, Penny Dreadful, City of Angels. It's on Stan. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we'll have a track right now. And that's this will be our David Bowie track for today, which is from his Earthling album, and it's uh, called Law, Earthlings on Fire. Now, I'll tell you why we want to play this after we've played it. <laughs> so here we go, David here Bowie. Here we go. This is China Mievel, author of The City and the City, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM, Melbourne. There we go. That was Mr. Bowie there from his Earthling album with a track called Lore, Earthlings on, Humans on Fire. Uh, I was having a good old bop to that. (laughs) Now, the reason why we played that is we're talking about um, the new series Penny Dreadful City of Angels, which is um, a spin-off of the Penny Dreadful series. It's on stand. There are 10 episodes. John Logan, once again, is the showrunner of this. It's... um, it is a horror detective story, I'm guessing. <laughs> I should go with that because although the I don't mo- know why I haven't watched this already, honestly. <laughs> not doing as much detecting as I would think. Actually, you will probably get into this easier than um, than you would have the original Penny Dreadful, Megan. Mm, mm, uh, I think mm, you'll mm. like the true crime aspect of it. Yep, yep. I think so too. And and it is sort of uh, spinning off the whole, um, now what was it called, the, the infamous Black Dahlia murders in LA. I was going to say it's definitely bringing these Black Dahlia, LA Confidential, Chinatown, as you mentioned before, all these kind of vibes. I reckon it's probably playing off those knowledge of that era and those crimes to kind of set the scene is what I'd imagine. Yeah, it is. So we played that one. Uh, now, now, David Bowie went to Mexico <laughs> uh, once and and did a gig there during his Earthling tour. So that's the connection mm-hmm. with that album. Um, and, of course, that, that, that song there has the, has the lyrics in it about people being on fire. And that's how Penny Dreadful City of Angels starts. When oh, the, great. The two demonic sisters are out in a field watching some um, – watching some farmhands work and uh, Magda the demon sets fire to the fields as part of her plan to show how inhumane human beings are to each other. And this is when the the main human character uh, is just a little boy and his father is caught in that fire. Now he's a a Mexican-American and when he grows up he becomes Detective Santiago who is the first Mexican-American on the LAPD. Mm-hmm. So this is actually quite a precarious position, um, so as you can imagine. So he's facing up with a lot of racism. As mm. I was saying before, um, because he lives in the L.A. neighbourhood in uh, Belvedere Heights, they're putting a new motorway through that area. So his family is in peril there, even as he becomes a policeman. Right. Um, so okay. th- this is where uh, all sorts of other issues come into play. And there are Nazis involved in, in this too. Uh, so 
you know, the uh, the whole story runs along from there. Now, the people who are in this story are many and varied, and mm-hmm. we've met some of them before, some of the actors in this. Um, Natalie Dormer plays Magda. Uh, I did see her in the trailer and I was like, she's going to be a draw card for a lot of people, including she is. me. <laughs> she was uh, Margaret Terrell in Game of Thrones. And for elementary fans, you will know her as um, Irina Adler Moriarty in that series. She was also in The Hunger Games. And most recently, we heard her voice in uh, Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, where she was Onika. Uh, Now, the main human character, Daniel Zavato, plays Detective Santiago Vega. Um, He is a Costa Rican American film and TV actor. He's been in a lot of horror films before, so he should be all right for this. <laughs> he's uh, got his screaming voice. Yeah. <laughs> Good and ready to go. He's also been in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at least once as a guest star, and he played a, a regular uh, character called Jack in Fear the Walking Dead. Oh, cool. Uh, we also have um, Adriana Barraza playing Maria Vega, the uh, detective's uh, mother, and she's the matriarch of the Vega family. She's a real character there. She's she's um, uh, fully fleshed out as a character. She's got a, the recurring, she had a recurring role on the uh, the vampire series, The Strain. Before. Oh, yes. Yep. Uh, she can dance too. They do have this oh, cool. lovely little dance number that um, she has with her son. She's, she's very much taken with her son, um, uh, she's got a number of kids, uh, at least two other sons and a daughter. Um, but of course, they've got they've got no uh, father in the family because he was killed at the start of the series, mm. at the start of the episode. So she's actually a very very important um, person, and she has some powers too. Oh, okay, <laughs> all right, little um, nugget there. Oh, and and uh, you've also got um, uh, Michael Gladys playing uh, a councilman. Uh, he was Paul Kinsey in Madman. Ah, uh, uh, yep. We also have uh, Rory Kinnear playing Peter Kraft, who's a German pediatrician, um. and he's um, the head of a German-American friendship society. And he I wonder a, if any relation to Greg Kinnear. Possibly, but oh, you can check that up. But the main thing have a look. is have a quick the, the main thing is that he is the monster from. Um, Penny Dreadful, Frankenstein's monster, I right. think, uh, if, unless I miss my guess. Uh, no, no, he's, he's the guy. Um, Is he the only person who's in both? I won't swear to that yet because I've only – Okay, oh, well, you've only – yes, it's only been one. My apologies, of course. Yeah. So he's a major player in this too. Um, also his sidekick, Ethan Peck, is Spock in Star Trek Discovery. Oh, okay. Brent uh, Spiner. Sorry, no no relation because he's British and Greg yes. Kinnear is not British. <laughs> anyway, go on. Brent Spiner plays the police chief. Uh, he's Mr. Data from Star Trek. We've just seen him in, in Picard. Um, you know, so they've got this quite uh, rich background of people in here. Um, and, and I thought think that the, the actors in here, and I think this makes it a very strong series just from the word mm. go. Because uh, Natalie Dormer uh, playing Magda, she's just totally evil. She's in She'd the, be having a great time in that role, I think. Yeah, she reminds me a bit of um, Hecate from the earlier Penny Dreadful, uh, one of the uh, the head witches from that. Uh, and also um, 
just trying to find the name of the, uh, oh yes, uh, Santa Moetta. Um, death essentially Lorenza Izzo plays her and we've seen her before in uh, the horror film Aftershock and Green Inferno and Knock Knock and um, which were both directed last two were both directed by her former husband Eli Roth ah okay Um, so yeah so uh, I think this is a great series so far it looks terrific Um, Penny Dreadful looks like they spent more than a penny on the production values. The mm. costumes are amazing. Oh, that's um, good. Uh, and uh, it's just it's just a series that's captured my attention immediately. Oh, Nathan Lane plays um, Santiago's uh, partner. Uh, oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I've got a couple of pretty big names in there, and but I like there's some unknown names in there too. I think mm. that's always very intriguing. So yeah. So I I, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm not getting quite the I'm not getting the same vibe as I did from the original Penny Dreadful, and that's good because mm. I want to change up from yeah there. yeah. Uh, I like that idea that spinoffs can still. I mean, it does make you wonder what makes it a spin-off. I mean, we'll see, I guess. It's only been one episode and what doesn't why it's a spin-off and not just its own thing. Yeah. But I think it definitely spin-offs need to bring something fresh to the table. So it sounds like well, I might check it out. I mean, it's kind of nice that there's only one episode out, so I don't feel like I'm already behind. Yeah. I can just dig in and, and take a look. And it's as stylish as all hell in the cinematography, which again is a penny dreadful yeah. signature. All right. Well, uh, I, I highly recommend it so far. For all I know, it will turn on its tail and tank. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Well, we can cover that as well. What were the details again, Rob? Uh, it's Penny Dreadful. There's 10 episodes, one a week, and the first one's dropped and it's on Stan. Mm. Oh, City of, Penny Dreadful, City, City of, Angels. of Angels. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you don't have to watch the previous ones, although obviously uh, you, you'll, you'll get more into the style of the thing if you have had mm. watched those. Oh, I should also mention it's got Thomas uh, Kreschmann in there, who's a German um, actor and is always typecast as Nazis. <laughs> but, <Aww>. he was, <laughs> but he was Baron Wolfgang von Strucker in Captain America, The Winter Soldier, and The Avengers Age of Ultron. So, yeah. I don't remember him at all. Anyway. All right. Now, um, there is obviously, as in any of those uh, Marvel Netflix series, Hmm. um, they're they're heavy on the the cultural music of the period, uh, and um, there's a lot of um, Latino band music in it, and that is perfect. It really, really suits the show. Uh, it, it helps set the mood for it. Oh, it's um, reasonably gory too, just as a mm. warning in that penny dreadful okay. way. Haven't encountered anything quite so gory as some of the dreadful stuff yet, but there are creepy and unsettling scenes of horror in this. So, you know, you, are, you have been warned. Um, mm. So, okay, uh, a track that features a lot in that first episode is La Lorona, which is by Chavela Vargas, and this is on the soundtrack of Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Zero G is fun, as you were. Yes, you are listening to Triple R, and that was La Llorona by Chavela Vargas, and uh, we played that because Rob just took a look at Penny Dreadful City of Angels, which is streaming on Stan right now. 
So next, I thought that I would just quickly have a mention. I've been sort of detailing different podcasts and things that you might be interested in listening to while we're all spending more time at home. I know it's nice to have some free content that you can be enjoying as well as paid content. So I actually, I went on a little bit of a Agatha Christie kick over in the recent, um, over the weekend, and I read uh, A Murder is Announced, which I enjoyed. It's problematic, but I enjoyed it. But then a friend, shout out to Alex, told me about a podcast that he's been listening to, which now I am listening to, called Phoebe Reads a Mystery. And it is Phoebe Judge from the podcast Criminal, uh, which is another excellent crime podcast. But she, Phoebe Judge, she has a wonderful, soothing voice and she reads mysteries. So the first one that she does is A Mysterious Affair at Styles, a Chris, Agatha Christie novel. And it looks like she also does Hound of Baskervilles and I think she's onto a third one now. So that's a bit of a shout out if you like mysteries, you like crime, you, you're a fan of Criminal, the podcast, which I also recommend. Um, I also, what got me into my Agatha Christie kick was I listened to a Stuff You Should Know episode on Agatha Christie. So recommend that as well if you're not that well-versed. I think it's it's a nice, uh, Agatha Christie novels are kind of a nice thing to read in isolation with a grain of salt, of course. So that's my podcast recommendation for the week. Um, surely, surely not a grain of salt, surely a grain of arsenic or strychnine or something. Yes, exactly. Something um, unmarked on a poison bottle there. Yeah. Um, are you a Christie fan at all, Rob? Um, yes, I've watched a lot of Miss Marple. I've, mm-hmm. I've, um, I've marvelled at the retocination of the little grey cells of Hercule Poirot. Yes, a character, quite a character. Yeah, Um, I've lost track of how many times I've seen different adaptations of Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, I know. Too many to name or to uh, enjoy, really. But um, that is her classic, probably her most well-known story. But if if you're not into any Agatha Christie, I'd say top two favorites would be The Murder of Roger Ackroyd and And Then There Were None. Uh, just two recommendations. But, yeah, um, as a big fan of Murder Mysteries and a solid Murder She Wrote fangirl, um, it's uh, pretty up my alley. I, I've played Mousetrap. Does that that count? Uh, I reckon that counts. <laughs> That's adjacent to. <laughs> um, so next up uh, we'll move to something a little more sobering. So we wanted to do a bit of an in-memoriam today. Um, because Irfan Khan has recently passed. So Irfan Khan, if you don't know him by name, you would definitely recognise him. So he's a respected actor. He's an icon in both Indian cinema, but he also has heaps of Hollywood um, films under his belt as well. And I'm definitely not saying making in Hollywood means that you are big, but um, I guess we just know him a little more just because of some of the... um, things that he's starting in Western cinema, but he has done a whole wealth of things in um, Bollywood cinema as well, which was actually a term that he didn't like. I had a nice quote from him where he says, I always object to the word Bollywood. I don't think it's fair to have that name because that industry has its own technique, its own way of making films that has nothing to do with aping Hollywood. So I thought that was a nice little comment from him. But anyway, so Khan, he died age 53 uh, from a colon infection. And um, after that happened sort of because he's so well-respected and well-known in India, like a lot of um, sympathies and things came pouring out and also, you know, it kind of had a bit of an effect as well 
um, across the world because he's very well known. So just delve a little into his past and his beginning. So after being a bit of a failed cricketer in his youth, he decided to go to drama school. And then he did start out on TV and he had some TV roles, but he really wanted to break into the movies. His first kind of breakout big role was actually in a British film called The Warrior, which was shot in India. And it did reach some success around the year 2000 when it won the BAFTA for Best British Film. And then he started to kind of get a lot more roles in Indian cinema and uh, become a bit more well-known and kind of break out in that sense a lot of his roles, he was a cop or a villain, that kind of, he was typecast a little in that kind of role. And this also kind of spread as well into some of the roles that he was cast in in Western cinema as well. He was the chief of police in Michael Winterbottom's A Mighty Heart. And he did also play a police officer in the film Slumdog Millionaire, which is probably where a lot of people would recognize him from. But he also starred in a couple of other zero-G staples that we've covered on the show before. He was in The Amazing Spider-Man, which is the Garfield, Andrew Garfield version, which came out in 2012. Uh, one of the lesser versions, let's be honest, because Tom Holland is my one true Spider-Man. He was, um, <laughs> Ifan Khan was also in Jurassic World and Inferno, which was one of those um, Da Vinci Code films. Uh, and he did have a more meaty role in Life of Pi, the Ang Lee film that came out in 2012. And Wes Anderson actually really wanted to work with him. And so he wrote him a small role in the Darjeeling Limited because he just really wanted him involved in that film, which I thought was quite nice. Um, another film to note, which doesn't really fall within our territory, um, but was very popular film, came out in 2013. It's called The Lunchbox, and it won the Grand Railed Or at the Cannes Film Festival, had a BAFTA nomination, and is his um, Cannes highest-grossing film that he filmed in Hindi um, ever. So that was one I thought I would note because I remember when that came out, and that was kind of a big deal. It got a lot of good press. And Did, did you ever see that one, Rob? I don't know if you would have. Um, I, I was focusing upon um, Slumdog Millionaire myself, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's probably that and Life of Pi would be the ones that would probably be the most recognisable um, of his roles. But, yeah, I mean, um, but, yeah, so he's he's had a, a career that spanned over 30 years, um, beloved actor, and a lot of the uh, sort of anecdotes about him is very well respected, very humble, but also like sort of down to earth. And yeah, so Irfan Khan, um, I might go back and watch a couple of his top roles actually, because they remind me of some films there that I wouldn't mind having a rewatch of. So, well, yes, so he. Life of Pi. Sorry. Watching yes. Life of Pi. Yeah, okay. I actually haven't seen that one. I actually should watch that anyway because I like Ang Lee and I'm curious as to how that book became, was and put on film. Also uh, The Warrior, which was one of his breakout roles. Yeah. yeah. And um, the adaptation of um, Shakespeare's Macbeth. Mac yes. Macbul. Yes, sorry, I should have mentioned that as well. I thought that was kind of cool. It's set in like the gangland um, in India and, yes, he he had a role in that. I would, wouldn't mind seeking that out actually if it's easy to find. Um, but, yeah, so very sad but um, so we thought we'd give him a bit of a shout-out here and I think we're going to play a little bit of a track. Yes, it's a, a, a 2015 Indian comedy drama film directed by uh, Shudit Sarkar. And it's um, 
It's called Piku. <laughs> so I, I just thought it would bring up the mood a bit um, uh, mm. to have this one in, in at this stage. And I'll give a, tr- a try for the name of the artist, um, uh, Sunidi Kalkan, which is uh, the Piku original motion picture soundtrack. This is Jack Dan, author of Bad Medicine for Zero G. The science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio show on 3 Triple R FM. There we go. Or here we go. Or wherever we go. There we are. (laughs) Lovely little track. Yeah, Piku uh, by Sundahi Chauhan, which is from the original motion picture soundtrack. And we played that in memoriam of Irfan Khan. Or he just liked to be called Irfan because he, he didn't want it to be defined by his heritage. Um, but he added the extra um, um, letter into his into his first name. <laughs> so, yes. The, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, sadly, no longer with us, a uh, great actor. And, um, yeah, far too many in memoriams we've had to do recently. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Okay. Now, um, Megan, you've caught up with something that we originally reviewed because we, we came at it from the other angle. We reviewed the um, the movie adaptation of Annihilation. Mm. Um, Alex Garland was the director of that, uh, who's done quite a few very zero-G genre films, which are uh, running through them. Oh, he did Ex Machina. Ex Machina, yeah. Annihilation. Yeah. And uh, actually, a couple of weeks ago on the show, we covered Devs, which is his TV show that he yeah. has most recently done. Um, yes, so he's the, Garland as a director definitely falls within zero G territory. And I'd had the book version, the book, the original source material for Annihilation, the uh, book Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer, kind of in my sights ever since I saw the film. I hadn't heard anything about it before the film, but I was intrigued about it. And I'd sort of kind of have it, had it on the back burner as something I might like to read. And then just recently it just seemed like a good time to delve in. So I picked it up. And, yeah, so it's the first book in the Southern Reach trilogy. And as you mentioned, Rob, we did talk a bit about it when we talked about the film. Um, I think that's probably what sort of sparked my interest a bit as well. But the other two books, book two is called Authority and book three is called Acceptance. So. Annihilation first came out in 2014, uh, written by Jeff Vandermeer, as I mentioned before. He writes a lot of kind of speculative fiction, science fiction, weird fiction kind of material, and just a couple of his other titles, which I'm not familiar with his work at all, so I'm not going to profess to be a Vandermeer expert, but he's done a couple of... um, he did Venice Underground and Shriek and Afterward, which were both novels that kind of expanded a world that he began in City of Saints and Mad Men, which was a short story, a quite fixed short story collection that he published quite a while ago. He's also done more recently the novel Born with an E on the end, B-O-R-N-E, and Dead Astronauts, which came out last year. And but he's probably his most prominent and popular work or well-known work is this Southern Reach trilogy of novels. And so especially after the, the film came out, which was in 2018. So that was released on Netflix. It starred Natalie Portman. And, um, yes, yeah, so that gave a little bit more exposure to that trilogy. 
Now, the first book that we're talking about at the moment, Annihilation, which I polished off recently, it won the Nebula Award for Best Novel in 2015, which is kind of a science fiction fantasy award. And it was inspired by Vandermeer was hiking through St. Mark's National Wildlife Refuge in Florida. So sort of the landscape and the biology in Annihilation is kind of informed by that area. And the basic premise of the book, and I'll be brief here because if you haven't seen the movie, I would recommend it because we both really liked that film, didn't we, Rob? Can, can I have a shot at the basic premise? Because I, oh, okay. I can sum it up real quick. You might remember right. <laughs> um, Andrei Tarkovsky did a film called Stalker based on a book mm. by the Soviet Russian authors Arkady and Boris Stragatsky. Now, that book basically it was uh, called Roadside Picnic originally. Aliens came to Earth and they dropped a few artifacts while they were having their picnic mm. or something like that. That's pretty much the plot of um, Annihilation too. Something comes either from another dimension or from another planet, possibly both, and mm. it alters the area in the southern reaches, uh, makes it into a, a zone of mutations and terror and strange goings on. And the the southern reach, um, I can't remember, it's called the Institute or something like that. The uh, Yes, so this, I think it's the southern reach authority yeah they're set up to they're set up to um, explore this people go in they do not come out generally uh, and mm. it, 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 it this zone of, of um, pervasive influence extends out into the ocean too so they can lose ships and things and planes mm, uh, mm. so that's that's where we stand at the um, the start of this book many expeditions have gone into it and uh, things have happened to them. Yes, and I like the – it's a very strong environmental element. It's very creepy. And I would definitely say, key, as you mentioned, this kind of an uneasiness of what can be trusted. So you can't necessarily trust what you know or what you think in there, what you see. So the area is called Area X in the novel, and whatever happens in there, it's all very – it's quite – you're never quite sure um, what is going on and you're never quite sure – what is the truth? And that's from the narrator's perspective too. I think it has a very interesting approach to narration. So we are, as you mentioned, so I won't I won't go much further in than what you've described because I think that sets the scene perfectly. But we do come at this from the perspective of one particular woman who's who's biologist. What's interesting is none of them are named. So none of them have names. They're just merely called by their roles, biologist, anthropologist, psychologist, and surveyor. And yeah, in this area where things behave differently, people behave differently, the environment is strange, perception is altered, or is it? Um, and yeah, they find out, she finds out more and more that what she thinks she knows is actually, she knows nothing. So what I thought, so kind of what I took away from the novel and what I liked the most about it is that it doesn't really care about whether you understand what's going on. In a good way, I think that the novel is quite easy to read. I wouldn't say that it's difficult to read by any means, but there's a lot of ideas and things described in there that it certainly doesn't hold your hand in terms of what he's trying to get across to you. So I think it's a quick but pensive read. Uh, there's some very creepy ideas in there, some very interesting ideas. I think it's much more inter- it's a much more internal novel, so I can see why they made some of it is different to the film. I can see where they made some of the changes they did. 
it's in not, order to get it on film. It's not um, many kilometres away from uh, a Stephen King novel in lots of respects. No. I'd say it's much more willing to be existential. Mm-hmm. Um, not that King doesn't like to play with bigger ideas and bigger themes sometimes, but I'd say that the point of this novel is certainly it's not your cut and dry, creepy thing happened, dead body, dead body. There are creepy things and there are dead bodies, but um, it's certainly much more about the effect that the environment is having on her psyche, which I think is it's when you think about it in that way, I think it is quite masterful how it has been turned into a film because it's very moody, but it would be very hard to to kind of translate that. And I th- I think that was in- interestingly done by Garland in the film version. So It's a very elliptical film. Uh, as well, and and so is the book. Mm, um, mm. You'll find yourself going, okay, so I don't trust these people. When you're watching yeah. the film, and there's a reason for that, and that is all explored in the book. Mm, so, yes, and I there's little breadcrumbs, and I think, like I said before, it's very unapologetic in what it doesn't explain. The narrator withholds information, and then from you, the reader. Um, and I quite liked that. And I like the idea. I've already got the second book ready to go. I like the idea that there might be some answers waiting for me in the rest of the trilogy, but I also accept that if I receive no more information or nothing becomes clear, that I've still enjoyed it as an experience. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think yeah, it's fine. I, don't know. I quite liked it. I've read all three and mm-hmm. um, I got them on Kindle. So, you know, when you're reading on Kindle, there's not that physical separation of putting down one book and starting the next. Ah, right. So you're not quite sure. I mean, from what I hear, though, book two is quite different to book one yeah. in terms of. Yeah, there are. But what sort of. I think you're in for an interesting journey for a start. Oh, okay. Um, okay. You will get you will get certain answers. Other things you might not get quite so uh, quite so mm. deterministic um, <laughs> solution to your yes. problem. I've kind of accepted that as a possibility. Yeah. Uh, and it's um, – I think it's a satisfying trilogy and, and, and it is very unsettling and, and I like that. Mm, 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 mm. I agree. I think I knew when I picked it up that I, it was going to be atmospheric, that it was going to be immersive, and that's kind of what I was after because mm. it was on sort of those rainy days we've had recently and it, it delivered what I expected. And probably more, to be honest, I think some of the surprises – in the novel, um, even though I thought I knew what was going to be in there, I, I still got a lot out of it in terms of um, eyebrow raises, let's yeah, say. Yeah. Um, so, no, I'm looking forward to reading the rest. And I, I, I don't mind that I've done it in this order either. I think the two, the film and the book are very separate in a lot of ways, but I can see how they maybe the film has been influenced a lot by that book. Yeah. But it does a lot of its own thing as well, and I kind of I respect that too, so. One of the things, yeah. I mentioned Tarkovsky before and Stalker, and, and sometimes I get annoyed with Tarkovsky. He takes some <laughs> books like, uh, Sol- you know, Stanislaw Lem's Solaris and Roadside mm-hmm. Picnic, and he, he does make them very whimsical and um, surreal. And sometimes the story is actually a bit more straightforward than that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It feels a little bit like art for the sake of, you know, art for the sake mm-hmm. of art. But I didn't. I don't think that um, Garland's Annihilation did that because Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy are pretty elliptical to start with. 
Absolutely. It's all, I think the, the little pollen seeds of everything Garland does are all sowed in the book itself. I think any liberties he takes or things he expands on, I can see how they sprouted from the book. And I like that. And I would say Vandermeer probably at least respects that in terms of, I mean, I don't know, I'm speaking for him, but <laughs> if it was my book, I think, I think that film captures a lot of the energy of what the book's trying to do. And I think that that's, that's a great thing because films can never really be a true um, sort of adaptation. So I think a, a mood replication is just as good. Seed sprouting is a theme of um, <laughs> the Southern Reef yes. trilogy. Absolutely it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, so that's Annihilation. And, and just for the record, I, I adore Tarkovsky's films. That just um, That's just a passing observation. <laughs> All <laughs> ten hours of them. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I concur. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the intellectual challenge of the Southern Reach trilogy. And as we were saying, did you read it um, electronically or no? So I've got the books. I got um, ah. they've done a re-release. I think of the covers in sort of a set, like three different color books that all go together. So I kind of wouldn't mind getting that little set. Um, hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, uh, that's about it for Zero G. We are going to go out with a track from the soundtrack of um, of uh, Annihilation. I almost called it The Shimmering. <laughs> Which, also, also relevant. Yeah, and it is Approaching the Shimmer. It's by Ben Salisbury and Jeff Barrow. Uh, ben Salisbury known for quite a bit of his own elliptical kind of music. And mm. uh, this is uh, from the motion picture soundtrack of Annihilation. Joe Brunatic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. And and uh, next week we will move on. I'm sort of drifting towards Asimov's second um, um, uh, sequel the to the uh, Yeah, The Naked Sun. The sequel yeah, to I'm um, interested. Caves of Steel. Anyway, we'll get there next week. Thank you very much, Megan, and thank you to our podcaster, Kayla Larson. And thank you, to- Rob. Also to Adam Christo, who's been a real help with uh, lots of technical advice too from Triple R. Yes, thank you, Adam. <laughs> G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.